<laughs> yeah, so in, in, in five to 10 years, you know, I think if you ask the average AI person today, they're pretty unaware of neuroscience and don't think neuroscience can have any impact in AI. I think in 10 years, people will be saying, of course, AI is impacted by neuroscience. <laughs> you know, why are you even asking? You know, I think by then we will have uh, systems that are truly sort of companions. Mm -hmm. um, they will be uh, systems that can, you know, uh, learn about you and help you along in, in, in a number of different activities. Um, I think we will have uh, uh, systems that can really help push the boundaries of science and knowledge mm -hmm. by truly interacting with scientists and, you know, helping create experiments and run experiments and, and uh, you know, really push the, the boundaries of, of human knowledge. Um, right. So I think, you know, it, it's not just going to be regurgitating what's already on the web. I think we will have AI systems that are true companions with people and learn along with people and help people in, an, you know, in all aspects of uh, what we're doing. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Head Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper. Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has had 25 years experience in computational neuroscience, deep learning, and real-time computer vision. He is a C-suite of an organization that is leading the charge to fully understand and build intelligent machines. As put by one of the co-founders, this is not pie in the sky. A fitting way to conclude the Neurotech series on Head's Talk, so we're going to end in the same way we started. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. U.S. Private Capital Forum Go Real 2023 launched now with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Subhatai Ahmad is the CEO of Numenta. He has previously served as Vice President Engineer at Yes Video Inc., where he helped grow the company from a three-person startup to a leader in automated digital media authoring. In 1997, Subhatai co-founded ePlanet Interactive, a spin-off from Interval Research. ePlanet developed the Interplay Me 2 Cam, the first computer vision product developed for consumers. He has served as a key researcher at Interval Research. Subatai holds a Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science from Cornell University and a PhD in Computer Science from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Okay, without further ado, um, I'd like to welcome Subatai to this series on his talk. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for having me, and I'm uh, delighted to be here as well. Excellent, excellent. As mentioned, you will conclude this series of Heads Talk, so really glad you've agreed to be with us 
today and tremendously happy with Nementa's contribution to the series. Let's begin in the usual way by reintroducing your organisation to my listeners. We spoke with uh, Jeff Hawkins at the start of the series and we want to have you provide us with a, a vision of the future for Numenta later in this episode. But first, a brief introduction and then your beginnings in, in Numenta um, to your role today. Sure. Um, so I've actually, uh, you know, even during my PhD, I was extremely interested in sort of neuroscience and computer science and, and deep learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, and that was in the early 90s, I couldn't really see how to take the interests I had in neuroscience into any sort of commercial venue or product. Mm-hmm. There was just no way to do it at that time. But mm-hmm. that interest was was there for sure. And then, you know, I, I transitioned to doing, you know, a number of startups and in, in technology. But then I met Jeff Hawkins and Donna Dubinsky back in 2005 when they were founding Amenta mm-hmm. um, with the idea of sort of really understanding neuroscience and the neocortex and then applying that to machine intelligence. And they had an extremely broad, ambitious vision. And for me, that was like all of my worlds sort of colliding into mm-hmm. one. And so, of course, this is where I have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's where I've been for the last uh, 17 years at Amenta. Well, well, it's definitely a place where you need to be. Um, it, it would be interesting to know um, what, if anything, you are currently losing sleep of in terms of the work you're doing at Numenta. What is keeping you awake, be it through excitement or concern? What, what What's keeping you awake? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a, a lot of things are keeping me awake, but I think one of the hardest things that we are trying to do is really transitioned from being mostly a neuroscience research lab. That's what we were for the first uh, 15 to 17 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we did a ton of sort of basic research and really understanding the neocortex and the neuroscience mm-hmm. and we can, you know, yeah. get into that. But then how do you take that? And, you know, we always want to have an impact in AI, but how you, do you take that research and really transition all of those learnings and then um, layer them onto onto AI. I think that's probably the biggest question that's uh, keeping me awake at night. All right, we're going to dissect that further a little bit later. So um, I get a sense of your passion projects even before you join the mentor, and I've got a sense of what's keeping you awake at night, and we're going to talk about that in greater detail later on. But you also talked about AI, so let's dive full on into neuroscience and AI and explore the relationship between the two. How well do you believe they are working and advancing together? That's the technology and the scientists within both camps. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, a great question. And that, you know, one that we've been thinking about quite a bit over the uh, last few years. I think there's actually two very different questions in that with very different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can look you can answer it in one direction, which is, you know, how has AI kind of impacted neuroscience? You know, how mm-hmm. well is neuroscience embracing AI? And that I think is going really well. Um, in, in neuroscience, there's, you know, massive data sets that you have to analyze and very complex patterns that you have to pick out. And neuroscience are increasingly incorporating kind of the best AI techniques into sort of, uh, you know, extracting the patterns that are in the data. So I think that direction is going really well. Mm-hmm. But the second part, I don't think is going too well. And that's the other direction, you know, how well, how, you know, how much has neuroscience impacting AI mm. together? Um, you know, I think that's the direction that's, it's almost completely missing. It's sort of bizarre 
um, you know, neuroscience had a, actually a pretty big impact in deep learning in the early mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. um, but over the last 20 to 30 years, AI has pretty much completely ignored neuroscience. Yeah. So I would say that's the direction that, you know, that's obviously where we are, but uh, that direction is almost nothing going on in the, in the world. So, so what do you think should be happening there? Since it seems like a void. So what do you think should be happening there that's not happening there? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you sort of step back and think really big picture and historically in the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, 1920s, 30s and 40s, you know, Hebb, Donald Hebb and others sort of came up with an understanding of what a neuron is and what, mm -hmm. how neurons learn. And that had huge impact uh, on deep learning. And the very first, uh, you know, deep learning models were directly inspired by that. Um, the, uh, you know, backpropagation learning algorithm was inspired by that, you know, sort of in the 50s and 60s, Hubel and Weasel, they won the Nobel Prize for understanding how the perceptual system works. And that had a big impact on convolutional networks, which mm -hmm. are a big part of deep learning today. But since that point, you know, AI, like I said earlier, AI has ignored uh, neuroscience, but it's not as if neuroscience stopped as a field. There's been tremendous discoveries that have yes. been made uh, yes. in, in the 70s, 80s, all the way to, to now. And, you know, I think what has to happen is we have to understand from a computer science standpoint, what is the impact of those huge discoveries that have made in neuroscience? and understand them from a functional standpoint and be able to then incorporate them into, you know, today's world. You know, neuroscience as a field has absolutely exploded over the last 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. but none mm -hmm. of that stuff is in today's AI uh, systems. Mm -hmm. and, um, it, this kind of touches quite nicely on the next question, because what, what you're answering and, and what you're saying to me, part of me thinking it's probably because it's, elements of it's not been commercialized and that's why that's why we have this problem so you've mentioned that you know there's changes afoot with neurotech sorry numenta um i gathered as you've said you, you are trans transitioning from a sort of a neuroscience research lab to a an, as you call it an impactful commercialized company how do you go about doing this yeah um so it's it's almost like creating a completely new startup from scratch. I mean, even though you know, even though we're a seventeen-year-old company uh, with you know a, a ton of technology and stuff that we've done, mm -hmm. we almost have to start from scratch and just think about this from the um, ground up. And there are, I think, a couple of really important questions we have to ask and answer. Um, you know, the first one. I would say is, um, you know, if you look at all of the different aspects and properties of neuroscience, what neuroscientists have discovered, what are the ways that neuroscience can actually help improve AI? Yeah. And that's not an easy question to answer because, you know, AI and deep learning has been advancing at a tremendous rate. But, you know, I think we've made a lot of progress in understanding the neuroscience uh, from a computational standpoint. So I think we have many, many different ways that we can take that neuroscience understanding and help improve AI. So that's sort of the one of the first questions. And for us, that's a little more straightforward. We know, okay, here are the at least 10, 15 ways that we can mm -hmm. impact AI. But the second question is sort of the, is a harder one is, you know, of all of the different ways neuroscience can improve AI, what ways can neuroscience actually have a meaningful commercial impact? Yes. 
And that's not as uh, straightforward an answer. You know, can we have a strong revenue model in the next one to two to three years while laying the groundwork for putting in, you know, all of the other fundamental aspects of AI? So that second question is a lot of what we've been, um, you know, working on. And, um, Mm. you know, I I can go into details of that if you want, but uh, I think we came to a pretty surprising, uh, we came to a pretty surprising conclusion on that side. Uh, yeah, but please do, but, do please do go in go into detail. You know, if you look at the first part of the question, you know, what are the different ways you can impact AI? So there are many, many different ways. Uh, we think you know today's AI systems don't really build a true model of the world, a true structured model of the world. Mm-hmm. And through the Thousand Brains theory, which I believe Jeff talked about quite yeah, a bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when when he spoke, you know, we have a a, a number of ways that. We can imagine taking neuroscience insights and building, helping AI building structured models of the world. Another aspect that we've published quite a bit about is something called continual learning, where an AI system can be constantly learning. You know, you and I, um, you know, are constantly learning, but AI systems are sort of trained in a batch mode and then they're deployed. And when they're deployed, they don't learn anymore. Okay. And you know, no biological system does that, but that's the way AI is. And it's actually difficult to figure out how to have AI systems that can learn continuously. So there are many sort of properties like that we can imagine mm-hmm. uh, proving AI, but it's sort of, it's really hard to take those ideas and come up with commercial, you know, business models and stuff. So the surprising conclusion we came to is that the best way we can proceed with neuroscience is actually in the areas of uh, performance improvements. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, sort of dramatic sort of acceleration of, uh, you know, the speed of AI systems, the energy that's consumed by AI systems, you know, how uh, Mm -hmm. quickly can AI systems learn? um, uh, You know, how quickly can they can they interact with the world, those kind of areas, because the brain uh, as you may know, it uses something like uh, 30 to 40 watts of power. It's mm-hmm. like a light bulb. Whereas, you know, today's deep learning systems to yeah. train something like a chat GPT takes as much power as, uh, it, you know, it, it takes as much power as it might take to power an entire town or, yeah. or more. You know, it's completely <laughs> unsustainable. Uh, there's no comparison, forward. really. There's no comparison. Yeah, so there's, and the cost of running today's AI models is increasing exponentially. So Mm. that's where the commercial piece comes in is we can actually take ideas from the brain and dramatically accelerate uh, today's AI systems. Mm -hmm. And so the, that's, we feel that's the place to start. It's not the end goal. That's uh, but that is a, uh, you know, a first step that we can take uh, to actually have some sort of a meaningful commercial impact to companies. So um, what time skills are we talking about here with, you know, turning things around with the mentor. And also, surely there's going to be elements of the mentor that will remain as so that you don't lose the fundamentals of what this organization is all about. Yes, exactly. I think you're exactly right. We have to stay to, true to our long-term mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is definitely a balancing act that uh, that we have to, uh, you know, learn to navigate. Um, it, you know, in terms of kind of timescales, I think the performance impacts that we can have, we are showing that today. So we're working with customers today and we can show that we can take, you know, ideas from how the neocortex is structured and how it works on information and how neurons are structured and have, you know, 
have more than a hundred times uh, you know better performance and energy usage and so on than than today's uh, transformer model. So we can actually impact that today. Mm -hmm. But as you say, at the same time, we cannot give up on the on the longer term mission. So we do have a team that's continuing to push on the thousand brains theory, the other aspects that I mentioned, you know, continue learning and building structured models of the world and working on how we can incorporate that um, into AI as well. Mm -hmm. So we have we'll have a we have a very deep roadmap of a number of different technologies that we'll we'll be able to layer in over time. Mm -hmm. And I supp suppose if we sort of look more sort of on the higher sort of the PR level of it with um, neuroscience and its impact on AI. We're looking at um, sustainability, aren't we? We're looking at um, how we can do things more effectively with reduced energy, that sort of thing. That, that's how it can be sold, I'm assuming, to the wider public in terms of understanding how um, this can be commercialized. It, exactly yes if you you know if you think about energy usage by deep learning models yeah. the amount of compute time that's required to train these models is doubling every three to four months mm -hmm. and that is just an insane yeah. uh, increase in the energy usage and compute requirements mm -hmm. um you know if if we if it takes the power of a town to train one of these <laughs> models in a couple of years it's going to yeah, take yeah. like the entire united states <laughs> you know, yes, the yes. Trainer, I mean, it's an exponentially yeah, yeah. increasing thing. So this is a huge problem in, in, in deep learning and AI today. And so I think understanding the brain and applying principles of the brain yeah. uh, to it can have a pretty amazing impact, I think, mm -hmm. on, on, on that problem. I think, can we just take a, take a minute to marvel at the workings of the brain and how it uses far less processing power than these deep learning systems? But um, Super tight. When do you think we will be able to say that about these deep learning systems in terms of what processing power they use? Yes. Yeah, so if you're uh, if you're asking about sort of when we can mm -hmm. apply some of these ideas into deep learning systems, I think we can do that today. Um, uh, we we we're working with customers who are starting to look at GPT scale models, and mm -hmm. up, we're able to apply our uh, to, uh, you know ideas today to improve those by you know, factor of 100x or more. Mm -hmm. um, we recently, we have a partnership with Intel. We mm -hmm. recently announced uh, a, a number of results where we're able to show about 120x improvement in all of those mm -hmm. metrics, you know, energy, throughput, latency, um, and so on in, on their latest uh, uh, platform. So I, I think this is something we can start applying today. Mm -hmm. um, we're about, you know, deep learning systems are probably a million times less efficient than the brain. Yeah, um, and yeah. so we can do 100x today. And I think we can do another factor of 10 and another factor of 10 over the next few years. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I, I'm glad so, you mentioned So this is not a long term. Yeah, just to kind of wrap that up. It's, that's not yeah. a, it's not a, like, it's a very long term picture. This is something we can do today. Okay, okay, we're moving in the right direction. You talked about partnerships. Exactly. And I just want to move on to that and collaborations because it's such a big thing today. Everybody on his dog talking about who they're working with and what they're doing. You mentioned Intel and the work you're doing with Intel. Who else are you working with as Dementor and, and to what aim? Yeah, so we're um, working with a, a number of different partners. Um, you know, most of them we are not able to announce publicly at this point. We should be able to later this year. 
but there's uh, a number of companies that are in what's called conversational AI, where you know, sort of like a you can think of a chat GPT type environment mm -hmm. where uh, you know user is sort of interacting with an AI that's then answering back uh, in, mm -hmm. in English or some you know in, in other languages in human languages, and so those types of systems um, are getting larger and larger, and they need to be able to respond in real time. So that's a very practical application uh, that we are working with a number of companies uh, to make sure that they can do that in a meaningful mm -hmm. way without exploding computing costs. So that that's uh, you know one area that we're working mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. um, another related area is in the area of sort of knowledge understanding. So many of these companies have huge uh, sets of documents and uh, customer service records and databases of knowledge in text that they have built up over the last 10, 20, 30 years. And sort of mining that is, is, is pretty, um, you, you know, today's AI is able to do a really good job of that, but it is incredibly expensive to run that with today's AI. And so we're actually making that possible that uh, you can, mm -hmm. you know, any, any organization can now take their internal knowledge base and start mm -hmm. to mine that with uh, these large language models. Mm -hmm. um, computer vision is another area that um, our technology uh, can have an impact. So, you know, yeah. being able to, um, you know, take visual images and understand them is something that today's AI models are getting better and better at. But again, doing that in a real-time context is uh, computationally quite expensive uh, mm -hmm. and requires a lot of energy. So that's, again, another area that uh, our, our models and our technology can have a pretty big impact on. Um, let's continue talking um, about something that you yourself state that you grapple with every day, and that is the, the, the future of intelligent computing. So simple question, what is it? And incidentally, is this the same as computational intelligence? Um, if not, how do they differ? I know it's sort of two sort of questions here, but sort of first, is this the same thing? If I say computational intelligence, is it the same as intelligent computing? And also, what is intelligent computing so that my, my listeners can understand further? Yeah, you know, I think the term computational intelligence is a term that's uh, been coined in academia. It's a very, very broad term, um, sort of any, diff any ways you can... Uh, you know, look at natural systems and how they compute and apply them uh, mm -hmm. in various ways. So, um, you know, and there's been a ton of different types of research that have been uh, done within that field and even includes things like evolutionary systems, you know, understanding how evolution uh, can create, you know, better and better uh, uh, organisms and trying to apply those principles to computational systems. So I think it's a very, very broad term. I would say intelligent computing is one sort of subset of that, which is you know, uh -huh. creating artificially intelligent systems um, that actually are truly intelligent in, 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 a, in a reasonable <laughs> definition of that. You know? Yes. So I th yeah, so I think, yeah, so it, it's just, uh, you know, computational intelligence is a very broad term. I think intelligent computing or machine okay. intelligence, as we like to uh, often yeah. say, is, is a, a, a sort of a much narrower subset of that. So let's let's stick with intelligent computing. Why do you grapple with it every day? Your words. <laughs> um, Another you thing know, you it's, can sleep over. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, so today's it you know AI is uh, advancing at an incredibly rapid rate. 
it's uh, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. And and you know, six months ago, we couldn't have predicted the impact that ChatGPT has mm. on, on on today's world. Yeah. And you know, it's the the entire ethos of deep learning systems today and machine and AI is just bigger and bigger and bigger models, right? And so, what they've shown is by creating these in massive models that are increasing in size, you can start to have systems that seem to be intelligent, but they're actually not. Mm. Um, they're, they're really, really good at taking the knowledge and sort of regurgitating it in different ways. Um, and so, you know, when you ask, you know, what is the future of intelligent computing? I think the future is sort of truly intelligent systems. And by that, we mean, you know, systems that are creating true models of the world, yeah. like they really understand the structure of the world or the structure of whatever environment it's in. They mm -hmm. can make predictions about it. They can do intelligent actions. Um, they can learn continuously, which today's AI does not. I think uh, if a system does not learn continuously, you cannot say it's intelligent. It's just gonna, whatever mistake it's making, it's gonna keep making that same dumb mistake mm -hmm. over and over again. So I think those are the, directions that we need to move in to have truly intelligent systems. And, and this phrase is just, when I'm looking at data and I'm reading through stuff, is this related to it? Um, quantum advanced intelligence, is that related to what you're just, you've just been talking about? Yeah, I think quantum computing and quantum advances is there, it's sort of a enabling computing technology, if you will, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, Computing computer manufacturers today and chip manufacturers are mm -hmm. are creating systems that are faster and faster and faster, and that enables us to write more complex programs. So I think quantum computing is just sort of another step step change there. If that becomes practical, it'll be uh, computing systems that are um, in, you know incredibly fast and and uh, will able to do very very complex algorithms. So I think it's more of an enabling technology, but that by itself is only one piece of it. You still yeah. need to have the algorithm. You still need to know what it is you want, how you're going to program these systems what you want it to and do. what you want them to do. Yeah, what yeah. you want it to do. Um, yeah. And that's where I think neuroscience comes in. Yeah, okay, that, that's good. So, you know, uh, simple question, um, Subutai, when will we get to what you describe as true machine intelligence? When do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's as far away as, as uh, people think. I think I think today, um, you know, there's a perception that, you know, neuroscience is, you know, incorporating neuroscience is something that's, you know, really far into the future, but mm -hmm. we don't think so. Um, you know, we, we think that this is something we can start today. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned the performance improvements, that's certainly one aspect we can do right away, mm -hmm. but we think in five to 10 years, we should be able to implement all of the aspects of the thousand brains theory um, mm -hmm. and be able to create systems that, you know, understand the structure of the world that mm -hmm. are able to mm -hmm. move around the world, you know, continuously build models of the world and so on. So we, we know a lot already from the neuroscience in a way that's actually actionable that we can actually convert to uh, computer programs. Mm -hmm. So it's not as far away as, as well, we might think. So, so you say sort of between five to 10 years, something like that would be in place. Exactly. That, that's our uh, best guess at this point. I mean, it's not 50 years. 
you know, it, uh, you know and it's so, not so it's, it's not three it's, years it's in our lifetime you know if we're lucky enough to live that long exactly it's still in our lifetime but but can you also paint um a sort of a, a, a general picture within newer science and newer technology what 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 will we be, we be talking about in five years ten years time if i was to talk to you again what what do you think we'll be talking about? What's the story of the day? What do you think uh, you know our conversation will be largely about? <laughs> yeah, so in 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 five to ten years, you know, I think if you ask the average AI person today, they're pretty unaware of neuroscience and don't think neuroscience can have any impact in AI. I think in ten years, people will be saying, "Of course, AI is impacted by neuroscience." <laughs> you know, why are you even asking? It should be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it it would be an obvious uh, uh, question. Um, you know, I think by then we will have uh, systems that are truly sort of companions. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be uh, systems that can, you know, uh, learn about you and help you along in, in, in a number of different activities. Um, I think we will have uh, uh, systems that can really help push the boundaries of science and knowledge mm-hmm. by truly interacting with scientists and, you know, helping create experiments and run experiments and and uh, you know really push the the boundaries of, of human knowledge. Um, right. So I think you know it, it's not just going to be regurgitating what's already on the web. I think we will have AI systems that are true companions with people and learn along with people and help people in an, you know in all aspects of uh, what we're doing. Nice. Right. Um, I, I get when you're talking, I sort of get a sense of silo working with neuroscientists in one corner and AI scientists in another corner and never the two will meet. I mean, what what does the cross-pollination of the two look like at the moment? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. It It is pretty siloed, which is really surprising. Um, you know, I think partly, I think partly it's the... Um, just the kind of the nature of the two fields in, in neuroscience, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of detail that you have to understand and deal with in order to run, you know, neuroscience experiments. So these experiments are incredibly difficult and challenging to plan out and run. It can often take something like two to three years to really go through all of the steps needed to, you know, come up with uh, scientific hypotheses, come up with the technology because often they're at the bleeding edge of what's possible you know mm-hmm. come up with the technology to do the recordings and to um you know take the measurements that they need to do and then understand the data you know mm-hmm. often you have to redo the experiments multiple times so it's a very sort of time consuming detailed process that's very challenging um and at the end of the day you know they, they will they publish papers which describe a lot of that detail because that's important detail to other neuroscientists. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when an AI person looks at it, that's all sort of gobbledygook to them. Yeah. <laughs> they don't understand that detail. They don't understand why you have to worry about, um, you know, uh, ex- uh, understanding the exact voltage of the neuron and controlling exactly, you know, how you're, uh, uh, you know, deploying mm-hmm. certain anesthetics and, and all that stuff. But um, so I think part of it is, I think neuroscientists have to get much better at explaining, sort mm-hmm. of stepping back and looking at it at a from a big picture point of view and explaining, you know, the concepts and and why 
uh, you know, why they're doing these experiments and what do we learn from it that can actually make sense to an AI, AI yeah. person. And how do you benefit um, from it, people in the AI camp? Exactly. How do you benefit from it? And, um, you know, we, we collaborate a lot with neuroscientists and it's often very, even for us, you know, having been immersed in neuroscience for mm -hmm. decades, it's often really hard to sort of, in our conversations, tease out the, you know, the, the one or two nuggets, uh, you know, salient what is it that stuff. they actually learned, the salient stuff. And I think neuroscientists have to get better at that. Um, right. So, <laughs> so the, in almost, they have to commercialize themselves before they can even commercialize their products. In, in yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good way to think about it. It's almost like a type of marketing, yes, uh, if, you, like if a, you will, and a, a communication PR build of them. A PR build, and it's you know I think scientists, many of them are fairly humble and modest, and they don't want to make yeah. claims yeah. that are not like hundred percent justified in the data. They're yeah. very hesitant to sort of extend themselves a little bit, um, and <laughs> but I think when you're yeah, I, I think when you're talking to other fields, you have to do that. Um, you have to really extrapolate yeah. and build a picture and build a story of what's going on. So, so do you think that there will be a hybrid role emerge out of that, where there's someone that's quite comfortable speaking with the neuroscientist, the neuroscientist language, and being able to translate it into the AI side of things or translate it into a commercial offering? Do you think something like that will develop or the neuroscientists just have to change the way they do things? What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, in terms of these hybrid roles, I, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, there are certain neuroscientists that are getting better and better at it that have a foot in the AI camp and have a foot in the neuroscience camp. Yeah, yeah. So there certainly are uh, some of those but fundamentally running these experiments is still incredibly challenging. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, these hybrid roles almost have to be a little bit separated from the experiments. They have to be theoreticians or, you know, people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who take the time to understand both sides of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that certainly is, is happening. There are communities of, uh, of people that are, are trying to do that. So I do hope, um, you know, as, as if, as these two fields, uh, you know, we get better and better at, uh, at having this sort of hybrid roles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But interesting to see how that develops, um, year after year and perhaps talk again later about that. Um, let's end the Neurotech series 2023, um, and this episode on this question, uh, super time, have you got a book out? And if not, what will it be about if you ever do publish a book? Yeah, um, uh, I don't have a book out. Um, you know, Jeff has written two. He's got incredible discipline and patience to write these two <laughs> books. Um, I have not done that yet. I think if I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly sort of, you know, very much a computer scientist. And I think if I were to ever write a book, I don't know that I ever would, but if I had the patience to write it, I would try to solve the problem we talked about a little bit. You know, the, the field of neuroscience is vast and really confusing for people outside of the neuroscience area. So, mm -hmm. you know, how can an engineer or a computer science sort of understand the field? So almost like a, a book that can be used in a university course yeah. uh, for, you know, sort of neuroscience for computer scientists, if you will. I mean, there's tons of computer science courses for other disciplines. Yes. You know, you have yeah. computer science for economists, computer yeah. science for um, historians or computer science for environmental folks. 
you know, why not a neuroscience for computer scientists course? You know, can you, you cut you, through you, a lot of that jargon and just explain things in a simple way so that it's actually understandable by computer scientists? Subutai, you, you're never going to have to write that book. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. You can't say something like that and then say, well, you know. <laughs> you're never going to have to write that book because it's a void. If you've talked about it, it needs to be written. It needs to be done. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, first, I have to solve the Numenta question, <laughs> and maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll work on this on the side. But, you yeah. know, when I'm up at in the middle of the night, yes, when you're up in the middle of the questions. night, when you're not, when you're unable to sleep, you can write a chapter. Exactly. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, look, uh, Subutai um, Ahmad, uh, a fitting conclusion to the new text series on Headstall. I'm actually quite sad to see the end of this series. But many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you so much, Elaine. Uh, it, it's it's a really great series that that you've done. I've enjoyed listening to it, and thank you so much for having me on the on the show. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.